Well, good morning. It is a sincere pleasure to be able to speak to you this morning. It's good to see that you are all here on a hot Alaska day. Who would think that you would want to go somewhere else because it's so hot in Alaska? Uh, we have some folks visiting with us, and they think it's okay, I guess, because they're from Charleston, South Carolina, and it gets really hot down that way. And speaking of down that way, uh, Sandy and Amy and I, we recently returned from spending some time in the lower 48. Uh, we flew down, we saw family. So we went from the West Coast uh, to the middle. Well, Atlanta's not the middle, but it's the hub. Went to Atlanta, then we went to Crawfordville, Florida, then the Panama City, Florida, then the Pensacola, Florida, then back up to Greenville, South Carolina, and then, then to Atlanta, Georgia. So we drove from Atlanta, all those different places. And coming back, we were so glad to be able to get on the plane and come back home. I'm not a real vacation person. After about a week and a half, I'm done. I'm ready to get back into my rut, right? I'm ready to get back to the way things are supposed to be. I find comfort in that. But what I don't find comfort in, like most of you, is sitting on an airplane for longer than I have to. And unfortunately, those of us who live in Alaska, when you travel, you have to, most of us, fly on a plane. And so, driving into Atlanta, we had to return our rental car, and that's hectic. Have you ever done that? You've got a million and five people that live down there just on one lane of traffic, uh, and you're dealing with all that, so we get, we don't really know what we're doing once we get into the rental car place, because you're trying to find your way to the terminal. Uh, I've... In all that rigmarole, I failed to tip some guy who gave us one of those uh, luggage carts to carry your luggage. Most of them say five bucks and you pull it, but this guy said, hey, I've got one. My wife said, oh, you should have tipped him. And I, I forgot to do that. So we get on the plane, and my daughter, Amy, says, oh, Dad, I'm so glad that we're going back home. I said, baby, I am too. I can't wait. You know, and we're wore out, tired, and I can't sleep on a plane. The only thing that goes to sleep on a plane for me is my arms. Have you ever had that where your arms just fall asleep because you're like this the whole time? So I can't sleep on a plane. So this is going to be a four-hour and 50-minute flight from Atlanta, Georgia to Seattle, Washington. So we get to sit down. We're mentally preparing ourselves for this flight. And then we hear the things you always hear. Uh, this is your captain speaking. And we go, okay, this is going to be one of those things we always hear. And he said, the ground crew just informed us that... Uh, the GPU panel needs to be replaced. I'm thinking, why is that? Well, actually, it's ground power unit. I know that because I have a son-in-law that flies, and he tells me these things so I don't look so foolish when I get up here and speak. So, and he says, and uh, we don't foresee this to be a big problem. 15, 20 minutes, and we're going to have you folks taxing down the runway to your destination. Thank you for flying blah, 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 airline. So I can't disclose the name of the airline because we may have one of those pilots in here. So we wait, and everybody's going, oh, man, are you serious? 20 more minutes on this fight? I've got to sit here that long. Something's going to go numb before we even get in the air. 20 minutes later, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I said, okay, here it comes. Well, they've got the GPU door fixed, and now we're just waiting for the maintenance report. I'm going, what? You have a maintenance report? Yep, maintenance report, and I don't expect to be more than 15 or 20 minutes. Then we'll be taxing down the runway. Yeah, you've been there. You've heard that. 20 minutes later, my left foot is already numb. <coughs> oh, this is your captain speaking. His voice is not as energetic. We just found out from the ground crew that they have just found out that there is a small divot on the underside of the plane by the GPU panel. And I'm thinking to myself, 
Okay, I know what a divot is. I like to swing a golf club. All right, and a divot to me is about six to eight inches long, about an inch and a half wide, and it could be deep depending on how bad I'm swinging that day. I'm saying, goodness gracious, this plane can't fly. What's a little divot? And he says, uh, it shouldn't be too much longer, 15 or 20 minutes, and we should have you guys rolling down the runway. And then all of a sudden he comes back on again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Totally just like he's been busted. He said, I'm not even going to guess how long this is going to take, but we just found out that uh, the mechanics on the ground, it's not in their book. They, they don't know what to do with this, so it's going up to SeaTac. If you want to disembark from the plane, go ahead and do that, but being... Keep this in mind. Stay around the gate because I'm sure this is not going to take long. This is an hour later. So I'll go out, come back in, sitting down. Everybody is just getting in an uproar now. And all of a sudden, two hours have passed. This is your captain speaking. Um, Seattle doesn't know what to do with this, so we're contacting the engineers at Boeing. I'm going, what? What are we still doing sitting on this plane with this little divot? All right. So I have this lady, Catacore, for me, asking me all kinds of questions. I don't know why she was asking me. She goes, well, what's going to happen? What's the protocol? What, are we going to get another plane? Or are they going to put us up in a hotel? Are we going to get a voucher? I, had no, I, I didn't know the answer to that, so I just said, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, to make a long story short, over three hours later, finally, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. They got clearance from the engineers at Boeing, and then the captain said the words we all love to hear when we fly. Flight attendants, prepare the cabin for takeoff. <sighs> Everybody claps and everything. Um, but looking at that, a what caused an inconvenience and made me gripe and bellyache and mumble, whine and complain because I didn't think it was a very serious issue. To them, was a very serious... To the ground crew, to SeaTac, to the engineers at Boeing, to them it was a very serious situation. And they exhausted all their resources to make sure to ensure that that plane was safe enough to fly us to Seattle. This morning, I want to talk to you about something that's a more serious matter than a divot in the underside of a plane, and it's the seriousness of sin. Some of you in the room may think, well, okay, well, this will be an easy message, but I'm going to let you know that this is what I would call the barbed wire of the Bible, what we're going to talk about this morning. I wrestled with God this week as I was going over this and the Holy Spirit was convicting me and I'm having to confess and I'm having to make things right with God because of the sins that I fail in my daily life to take serious. An individual group or a country that does not understand the seriousness of sin, they don't know the gravity of of the situation that they're in. They don't know the pitfalls that await them. You do not know the pitfalls that await you because you do not take your sin serious. But what is sin? Well, it seems like today that the word sin has almost disappeared, has it not? Now, instead of uh, someone committing adultery, it's an affair. Now, instead of corporate businessmen stealing from their businesses, it's called embezzlement. It used to be that even non-believers understood the word sin and the implications of it. There's a psychiatrist, an author, he's dead now. His name was Carl Menninger, a non-believer, wrote a book in 1973 titled, Whatever Happened to Sin? 
In it, he wrote, The very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a strong word, an ominous word, and a serious word. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared, the word, along with its notion. Why? Doesn't anybody sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Even in our day and age, people do not want to think of themselves as sinners. All of us who are in this room that, who profess Christ as our personal Savior, sometimes we think we're not sinners. But if it was not for sin, none of you would be in this room right now. Think about that. If it was not because of sin, we would not be in this room. Because if it was not of sin, we didn't need a Savior. So why be here? So it, sin has brought us all here today. But how serious do we take our sin? Millard Erickson, in his volume, Christian Christian Theology, wrote this. To speak of humans as sinners is almost like screaming out a profanity or obscenity at a very formal, dignified, Gentile meeting, or even at church. It is forbidden. This general attitude is almost a new type of legalism, the major prohibition of which is, You shall not speak anything negative. Our country, beloved, is full of churches who won't speak anything negative. Rarely will you hear a sermon on sin, much less the severity of sin, the seriousness of sin. But for us to fully comprehend what that is, because a lot of us think of sin as, oh, I'm not a murderer, uh, I'm not stolen money, Uh, I've not done this or that. But it may surprise you that you are a sinner and you take your sin not very seriously. So what is the biblical definition of sin? Because that's what we need to hold to. That's our banner of truth is God's Word. Well, if if you come to our worship in the rounds on Sunday evenings, we're going through uh, a biblical doctrine book. And in that, I found what I believe is the most comprehensive most easily understood concept or definition biblically on sin. And I want you to ingrain this in your head. If you you don't listen to anything else this morning, listen to this, because this definition you will see repeatedly coming up in your mind as we're going through what we're talking about today. Sin is any lack of conformity to God's will in attitude, thought, or action, whether committed actively or passively. The center of all sin is autonomy, which is the replacing of God with self. Always closely associated with sin or its products, pride, selfishness, idolatry, and lack of peace. You know how many Christians are sitting in churches this morning and they don't have peace? They can spell it. They can read it as black words on white paper, even the word joy, but they have no joy, they have no peace because they do not take their sins seriously and they live in a world devoid of a full relationship with God the Father, with God the Son. And so this morning, the most serious thing that we could talk about is not making you happy this morning, is not making you walk out, skip in and singing. Yippity-doo day. It's for us to wrap our head around our sin. So this morning, it would be a mute point for me to preach on 
racial tension, the political divide in our country, COVID-19, who's right or wrong about that, social justice or climate change, it's sin. Because that's what's going to send you to hell. That's what's going to destroy your relationship. And you'll hear this as, as we go this, sin... And when you refuse to accept the seriousness of sin, it's a relationship killer. Some of you in this room can attest to that. A.W. Tozer, in his work, Jesus, Our Man in Glory, wrote this. Go to God's Word and you will find that sin is the most pressing, the most compelling, the most imperative problem in human life and society. The most pressing problem is not sickness. It's not war. It's not poverty. Sin is the basic problem because sin has to do with a person's soul. Sin does not relate merely to a person's short years here on earth. It involves that person's eternal future and the world to come. So this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. Before we read the text, I have a question I want to ask you. I want you to... In your mind, in your heart, honestly answer this question, either now or at the end of the service. How serious do you take your sin? How serious do you take your sin? It's my prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts. Because, folks, our church can't go any further than it is right now until all of us really understand the seriousness of our sin. Because... What tears a church up more than anything else is not COVID-19. It's not political divide. It's not racial disparity. It's sin within the church. That's how the devil works. Sin within the church because we refuse to understand how serious our sin is. So if you're writing notes, if you're taking notes this morning, in this passage we're going to look at three reasons why you should take sin seriously. Three reasons why you should take sin seriously. One is first because God the Father takes sin seriously. Secondly, is because Satan, your adversary, my adversary, takes sin seriously. And thirdly, because God the Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, takes sin seriously. Let's pray before we read God's Word. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we can come this morning and we can worship you in song. And, and God, as now as we approach your word, I pray, Heavenly Father God, that you'd remove me. I pray, God, you'll speak through me and even to me as you've done this week already. And I pray, God, that we would walk away here this morning convicted and understanding the seriousness of our sin. And I pray, Heavenly Father God, Lord Jesus, you'll put a hedge of protection about this place. I pray, God, the Holy Spirit would work in hearts and lives. We ask these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So let's see where we're at here. Genesis chapter 3, we're all familiar with this. This is the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve. But what happened up to this point? When you read in Genesis chapter 2, just to the left of where you're reading now, in verses 15 through 17, we see that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his Nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God then planted a garden east of Eden, and it was a paradise. And within this paradise, God put the first man. Two specific things. One was to till the ground. 
And the other was to keep it, which comes from the Hebrew word shamar, which has the connotation of to guard, to protect. And so you've got a perfect man. He was not sinless, but he was perfect in a perfect paradise. And God said, within this perfect paradise, Adam, there's only one thing that I want you to do. I want you to obey me. Because your obedience is going to be crucial in our relationship. Adam's relationship with the almighty creator God was dependent on Adam's obedience. So God told him, of all the trees in the garden, you can eat as much as you want till you're full, till you can't eat another thing. But of the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it, Adam. And then God told him this. I'm so serious about this that the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And in the Hebrew it says, dying you shall die, which implicates that it's going to definitely happen. Adam, if you disobey one little command, just don't eat this fruit. One thing. Reminds me of Lot's wife. When the angels are bringing him out of the city, it says, one thing, don't turn around and look back. And we think, well, it's just a simple thing. Why did God turn her to a pillar of salt? All she did was do that. All Adam and Eve did was eat a piece of fruit. Why such severe consequences for a little thing? So now we're in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read through verses 15 and we're going to talk about this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head And you shall bruise his heel. So the first reason we as believers should take sin seriously is because God takes sin seriously. 
Why? Because God is holy. Is He not? God is without sin. He is perfect, unblemished, untainted by sin, and cannot be touched by it. Sinful man cannot have fellowship with a holy God. It is impossible. We are called to be holy like God is holy. Now, we can never be as holy as God upon this earth. There's no way. But we are called to. It's an imperative. It's a command for us to be holy. We should be panning after the things of God. We should be desiring the things of God. And why do we not? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter writes this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... Paul and Peter both write a lot about your minds being set to think properly. And that's what we're here this morning. We're here to put our minds around God's Word. As we shuck it down to the cob, we're honest with ourselves that we do not take our sins seriously. He said, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here it is. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. You know what that means? That's what we think, what we say, how we treat other people. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here's a little barbed wire to throw in here. I had to deal with it. So I figure you guys can deal with it, right? How holy are you when you are talking about somebody behind their back? You take part in gossip. You have a bitter attitude, a bitter spirit. Nothing satisfies you, no matter what anybody does. When you're unthankful, when you're selfish, when you're angry, when you're judgmental, how holy are you at that moment? Guess what? When I'm like that, you're no more holier than I am, and none of us are even trying to be holy. Why does God take sin serious? Because God knows that sin separates. Let's look in Genesis chapter 3 again, verses 7 and 9. We see that Eve is deceived. She eats, gives Adam. They both know that they're not supposed to eat it. And they do it. And so sin separates. In verse 7, we read, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? As we read this section of Scripture, we do not see Adam nor Eve calling out and begging God, God, forgive us because we sinned. We were disobedient. We don't see that because sin separates. Adam and Eve had the audacity to hide out in the very garden that God had made for the perfect couple. They decided they would take fig leaves and take care of the problem themselves. Their shame and their guilt because of the nakedness. They were more consumed about themselves 
than they were consumed about their relationship with God. And beloved, that's what sin does. Sin will separate you spiritually from God. Isaiah 59.2, the prophet writes this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. God is serious about sin because God knows that sin separates. It separates relationship. It separates your relationship with God Almighty. David wrote, I believe it was Psalm 66, 18, said, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. How sad would it be because we don't take our sins seriously. The gossip, the slander, the belly aching, and the whining, and the complaining, and you had to get a hold of God. I had to get a hold of God for some specific reason, and I have unconfessed sin in my life because I don't take those sins serious. How tragic would that be? How would you feel if you had to get a hold of God and you were separated from God because you failed to take your sin seriously? Are you there this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're doomed already. You're separated for an eternity in hell. That's not God's fault. That's what sin does. God takes sin seriously. Why? Because also sin separates physically and emotionally. Sin is a relationship killer. Not taking sin seriously will affect the relationship and possibly sever it between you and your wife, between you and your children, children between you and your parents, between friends, between church members. Remember, Adam once was a loving, doting husband. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, he makes this statement. He says, at last, woo! What was he waiting for? What was he anticipating? What was he excited about? He said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Baby, you look good. He doted on Eve. He loved her. Now we see in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 3, it's a totally different story because, folks, sin separates and it severs relationships. Look in verse 12. What does it say? It says, the man said, when God asked him, what happened? The man said, the woman, so he's going to throw his beloved under the bus. And at the same time, he's throwing God under the bus. Listen to what he says. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, God... She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Not a very loving husband, but how often, guys, are we that same way? How often do we talk to our wives in a way that we shouldn't talk to her and we just let that bypass? Well, that's serious because it's sin and sin is going to rupture and sever that relationship. Are you there this morning? And we wonder sometimes as Christians why our life is so miserable. Why don't we feel joy and peace? You know, joy and peace is something that you can feel. It's not just black words on white paper. It's something that you can experience. But yet so many Christians live in a life of the doldrums. 
because their life is so miserable and they're trying to take fig leaves and fix things. They're not crying out to God and say, God, forgive me. They're not going to their wives or their children saying, forgive me because I've sinned against you. Another reason why we should take serious sin because God does. God knows that sin brings death, both physically and spiritually. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. And every single one of us are a sinner. Whether you're born again or not, you're a sinner. If you're born again, you're a sinner saved by grace. But how is your relationship with God the Father? Is it severed this morning? Do you feel the presence of God in your life? Or do you come to church on Sunday just to check off a box and you don't darken the door of the church anytime other than that? You don't open up your Bible during the week to fellowship with God? You won't ever have peace. You won't ever experience joy. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam and Eve's sin, their failure to recognize the sin was so severe that how would you like to be that mama whose firstborn son kills your other son? Sin brought that into the world. Sin from Adam and Eve brought into the wrath and the judgment of God in Noah's day in the flood. Only eight people survived that. Sin separates. Sin brings death, and God knows that. The second reason that we should take sin seriously is because your adversary, the devil, takes sin seriously. Let's look in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. As we see this, there's a real serpent here empowered by Satan himself. We don't know when Satan was cast out of heaven, but the Bible tells us that he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. That's in, we, we see that in Revelation. So we don't know what the time frame was, but we know that the devil is using something that God has made, a creature that God has made, to tempt Adam and Eve into falling into sin. So here's something. I'm just going to interject this. This is not my notes, but I'll give this to you for free. Be very careful when you think that the devil can't use you to cause somebody else to sin. Oh, he'll do that, beloved, lickety-split. You've got to be mindful of that because sin is serious, and he knows how serious sin is. Satan knows that God is holy. He was in heaven with him. He was created by God. Satan knows that sin separates. He was cast from heaven. Satan knows that sin brings death, Because his end is death. Revelation tells us that. That him and his angels and those who don't believe in the Lamb are going to spend an eternity in hell. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Basically what he was saying, he said, Eve... Look at all this stuff you have here, all these delicious fruits. I can't believe that God Almighty would not let you eat any of this. So then Eve, in her way of trying to defend God 
And remember, God does not need us to defend him. God needs us to obey him. So Eve, trying to defend God, doesn't obey God. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Now she adds to this, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, that's going to make it more serious. That'll make sure that I don't do it, right? But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. See, Satan knows that sin brings death. Satan knows that sin separates. That's the exact same thing that happened to him in heaven. Remember the I wills of Satan. You read in in, uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. um, We see Satan's fall from heaven symbolically written here. Now we know that these two passages are specifically talking about the king of Babylon and king of Tyre. But it also references the spiritual power between behind these kings, which is Satan himself. You remember when Jesus told Peter, when Peter was saying, Oh, no, far be it from you, Lord, to die. What did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan works in ways that you and I don't understand. A lot of people look at Satan as just being God's cosmic bellhop. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, he's more powerful than that. You remember, he tempted our Lord and Savior in the wilderness. And he had the audacity to think that he could pull that off. So what do you think that he can do to you and I, especially if we don't consider our respectable sins serious? In Isaiah 14, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will sit my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan had experienced this. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be autonomous. He wanted to say, no, what I say is right is right. And what I say is wrong is wrong. We all want that. We all want to decide what's right and wrong. If we just shuck it down to the cob, we go, that's me. Let's look at this. So he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Does that sound familiar? Knowing good and evil. What he was saying to Eve is, Eve, look, all you do is take one bite. It's the easiest thing you've ever done. And then you can decide what's right for you. You can decide what's wrong for you. It's up to you anyway, right? And Eve bought into that very rapidly. Then we see in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she starts contemplating now instead of being obedient, instead of realizing that disobedience, the Old Testament says, is as the sin of witchcraft, instead of being obedient to God and realizing that just one bite is a serious sin. This is what she does. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
I don't know, but I would kind of guess that little old Eve, she wanted to have that fruit from day one. She desired it. You see, there was not a lot of salesmanship in Satan's pitch to her about doing this. Not much at all. She didn't get her arm twisted. She looked at it and decided. I want you to go to James. I want you to go James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. This is what happened to Eve, a perfect woman in a perfect garden. James 1, 14 through 15 says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's exactly what we see here in the Garden of Eden. It's like you and I, folks. If you're honest with yourself, you want to do that sin. And if you could find a way to do it without getting caught, you would do it. Because we don't take it serious. We think it's just one thing. Everybody's doing it. Satan knows that sin separates. Satan knows that sin destroys relationships. He also knows that sin brings forth death. You see, Satan hates everything there is about God. That means if you're a believer, he hates you. If you're a believer, he hates your children. He's going to do everything he can to convince you that your sin is not that serious. In Acts chapter 5, we're all familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, are we not? They sold some land. And the Bible says while the land was theirs, and even after they sold it, they could have done whatever they want to do with that money. If they wanted to invest into a Roth IRA, they could have done that. If they wanted to put it in the bank, they could have done that. But instead, they come before Peter and said, we sold it for this much and we're giving it all to you. Okay? Pride. Remember our definition of what sin is? The byproducts is pride, selfishness. So they come in, and Peter, what does Peter say? Ananias, why has Satan, Satan, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Lickety split. Ananias says, belly up. They go bury him. They're coming back. And sure enough, here comes Miss Ananias. She walks in. They ask her the same question. Them two are in cahoots. God strikes her dead. It was just, was it that big of a deal? Yeah, sin is serious. But what kind of sins, really? Maybe I'm okay. Maybe, I mean, I may, I may tell a little white lie every once in a while, whatever. I want you to go to Ephesians. Let's see where we fall in this category of what we call these respectable sins. In verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Sin is serious, even our little respectable sins. Lastly, finally, we need to take sin seriously because Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, takes sin seriously. Jesus full well knows that sin separates. When the call came for Christ to come to the earth to dwell among men, He came willingly, a plan that was laid down before the foundations of the world. He had to leave His home in glory, the splendor of the throne room of heaven to come live amongst sinful men. Because He knows that sin separates. And He knows He and the Father, the Holy Spirit, when men was created, was created as the crowning glory of God's creation for man to fellowship with a triune God. He left His home in glory to come down to earth. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh. We drug Christ out of the throne room of heaven, but He came willingly because He knows it's separation. He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus took sin, takes sin so seriously that He put Himself through the things that we go through so that He can know exactly what we're dealing with. The Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus knows that sin separates when He was on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we may become the righteousness of God. The wrath of God came upon Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God. For every time I've talked about somebody behind their back, for every time that you have bellyached and complained, for your gossip, for your unthankfulness. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Remember, Jesus was in the garden and he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, if at all possible. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we know that Christ went to the cross. In the garden, as we're reading the Gospels, it says he was so anguished that he was sweating blood. And he fell down on the ground in the garden, moaning, crying out to God. Now, I don't believe that was because of the pain that he was going to endure. What I believe, beloved, that he knew that feeling of separation from a holy God. Remember when he was on the cross 
and all the sin of the world is on his shoulders because of what we do, the sin that we don't take serious. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should make us think very seriously about our sin. This morning we've looked at the fact that we should take sin seriously because a holy God takes sin seriously. Because he knows that it separates and it brings death. Satan knows the same thing. Satan is out to get you. Remember, Peter was told this by Jesus. He said, Peter, Satan has demanded that he have you, that he can sift you as wheat. Peter wrote... Later on, when he wrote in 2 Peter, he said, Be sober, be vigilant, be sober-minded, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. So we know that sin separates spiritually, sin separates physically and emotionally, and sin brings physical and eternal death. So why don't we take our sins seriously? Jerry Bridges, in his book called Respectable Sins, wrote this, We, who are believers, tend to evaluate our character and conduct relative to the moral culture in which we live. Since we usually live at a higher moral standard than society at large, it is easy for us to feel good about ourselves and to assume that God feels that way also. We fail to reckon with the reality of sin still dwelling within us. So if that's you this morning, now I'll wrestle with this all week. You know, it wouldn't like Jacob wrestling with God, you know, God bless me, God bless me. It was like, God, just leave me alone. Because as I prayed through this, if I read through this, the Holy Spirit convicted me of things that I knew were wrong, but then I justified why I did it, why I said it, why I talked about that person. So what do I do? What do you do this morning? If you're not serious about your sin and the Holy Spirit is now convicting your heart, now pricking your heart going, that's you, that's you, that's you. And what if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Hell will be your home forever because sin separates and sin brings death, eternal death, separated from a holy God. So what do I do? Well, Romans 6, 11 through 12, and the guy who penned this was the Apostle Paul. Probably an incredible mass murderer, right? Yeah. He wrote this because he found out he experienced God in a way that we need to realize that we can experience God, that God does forgive. God provides forgiveness and redemption. He wrote this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. You don't ha- as a Christian, you don't have to continue down the path that you're on. You don't have to continue talking about people behind their back, gossiping. You don't have to be mad at somebody in this church because you don't get your way, you don't like what Sister Susie wore. We don't have to be that way. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil's, evil desires. Now, if you want to just live the rest of your life on earth as a Christian, miserable, hating everybody, complaining about everybody, there's nothing I can do about that. Because you're going to stand before God Almighty one day and give an account, just like Pete Johnson is. So knowing that sin is serious this morning, folks, what are you going 
to do about it? Well, the first thing is you need to make right your relationships that have been severed because of your sin. First with God. Confess your sin, repent, and turn from it. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the gospel is not just for the lost people. The gospel is for us because we are sinners. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day. Because what do we do every day? We sin every day. Then I need to make relationships right with other people. James 5, 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sin is such a serious, serious thing. The small sins are just as weighty and will destroy your relationship with God, your family, as the big ones. I want to close with a quote from John Owen. This is something that we need to keep in mind. I know I do. He writes, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you.